<laughs> well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Morning. All right. A couple of y'all are awake. That's cool. Um, it is 9.30, and so I guess if you haven't gotten any coffee, oh, we don't have it. Never mind. I was just kidding. <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Marco. I serve as uh, the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping alongside us, um, especially those of you who, are, this is being recorded, so those of you who are watching or listening online, grace and peace to y'all. Uh, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open to Psalm chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through Eight and uh, and so while you open or load your Bible, I have a couple of things for you. Uh, actually, I just have one thing for you. It's in addition to what Vanessa was just sharing with us. Uh, but that is beginning next week, so Sunday, July twenty-first. So next Sunday, a week from today, we are going to be moving back to one service. Okay, so we're going to be going back to a ten thirty a.m. service. It'll be on our Facebook. It'll be on our website. We'll be posting it on social media and all that stuff. But for you to know. We are going back to a 10.30 a.m. service beginning next week. And so in light of that, just wanted to share one or two things. The first one is thank you so much for your grace and your patience as we phase back in to, uh, I suppose, uh, some uh, normative rhythms uh, throughout a funky season. So thank you so much for your grace and your patience. Um, uh, as we go back to one service, you'll slowly start to see that we're going to phase certain things back in and we're going to communicate all that as we go. Uh, but in addition to that, make sure that whether it's today or throughout the week that you follow up with some of our volunteers who have been pulling double duty for the past couple of weeks and are going to continue to serve you throughout our time. Uh, make sure that you follow up with them, say thank you, take them out to lunch, give them a high five outside, give them a high five, all of those wonderful things, uh, because they've just been serving uh, our body so well. Uh, in addition to that, with the whole 10.30 a.m. service, that's the only change. So Eventbrite is still gonna be made live. We do that right now so that we know how to best prepare for you and your families and to serve you and your families. So all that being said, July 21st, 10.30 a.m. service, uh, and you'll start to see some things phase back in. Uh, that's all I wanted to add. So last week, if, if you weren't with us or if you heard online or, or, or you just weren't around, we started a new sermon series in the Psalms on emotions and what the Bible teaches about emotions and how we should engage God and how we should engage our own emotions. We said that emotions are important because they communicate who, what, and how we worship. And while you and I must discern between what is good and godly or selfish and destructive, we must also be aware of the object of our affection. We looked at last week, or we briefly examined, that our emotions aren't necessarily bad. In fact, they're very good. But what you and I need to be aware of is not only how we respond, but again, what is beckoning our affection. And so with that being said, today we begin the first of six emotions that we all experience. And so today we're going to be talking about fear. And so let me begin by asking you this question. What is it that you are afraid of? I want you to chew on that for a second or two. What are you afraid of? I want to give you a couple of examples of a few things that I'm afraid of that Maybe we'll shed some light. I hate flying. I'm just gonna put that on the table. I feel purged. I hate flying. 
the first time I flew, I flew to Florida with my friend Maya, and we were going to a conference, and I was really excited because I really enjoy traveling. And uh, so we got on the plane, and I'm really excited, and the plane is starting to tax, and it was really cold outside, so it seemed like the most magical moment in the world. And so the plane is taxing, and I'm really excited, and the plane, you hear the engines start to rev up, and then the plane takes off, and I'm like, yes, this is awesome. This must be what James Bond feels like. And, uh, and as soon as the wheels leave the runway, my anxiety shoots through the roof, I begin to freak out internally. Uh, if you could take a, a gander into my brain, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And, uh, but physically, I'm just sitting down, holding on to, I guess, the, the tray that's in front of you. I'm just holding on to it. And Maya's asking, hey, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm fine. This is great. Just talk to me. And, uh, but I don't respond to him as he talks to me. And I figured that the more I flew, um, the fear would eventually go away. Well, here we, are all, here we are several years later, and it hasn't gone away. In fact, in some instances, it has gotten worse. Last year, uh, my wife and I flew together for the first time. And, uh, uh, and I was thinking, this is after six years of marriage, and so I was thinking, now that my wife is beside me, man, she's going to coach me through a couple of things, because my wife has flown several times, a bunch of times, way more than I ever have. And so I figured she's going to coach me, she's going to give me some tips and tricks uh, as to how to chill out when I fly. And so our first flight was to Colorado. And uh, as we flew to Colorado, I was just like looking at my watch the whole time, trying to engage in conversation. And she's talking to me and we got to Colorado just fine. The next flight, a couple of days later, was from Colorado to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, and so we're in the runway and, uh, and I'm just like trying to psych myself out. It's only one hour. As soon as you hit that cruising altitude, you come back down. It's cool. It's not even that bad. It's one hour. That's a workout. It's easy. It's only 4% of my day. I could do this. And, uh, and so the, the, the captain comes on and he goes on to say, uh, hey, there were some like wildfires or there's some fires going on. And so the wind is pushing into us as we take off. Uh, it's going to be a little, a little Harry and I was like, why would you say that? Just do it. And so, so we finally take off, and uh, and it's kind of bumpy going on the way up, and everybody's like reading, and everybody's kind of hanging out, and the flight attendants are getting the coffee ready. Like no one is freaking out, but I am. I'm tripping out. On top of that, there were like uh, some uh, military guys dressed in civilian clothes, and they're looking at me because I'm freaking out. And so as we get to cruising altitude, I'm like, okay, it's fine. And even the pilot comes back on, and he says, hey. I want to give props to my number two. He got us around this windy storm. Uh, so we're good to go. I was like, oh man, praise God for this number two, right? We're approaching uh, New Mexico. And as we begin to descend, the pilot goes on to say, um, he goes on to say, hey, uh, again, windy. I'm not going to lie. That's how he says it. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be bumpy. And so we start our descent into Albuquerque, New Mexico. And one of the things that brings me comfort is that once I can see like buildings, once I can see kind of like land, I, I, I'm fine, right? It's the whole being 30,000 feet in the air that freaks me out. Anyway, so we begin our descent. And as we begin our descent, it starts to get really bumpy and I'm freaking out. And I am hoping that my wife would bring me comfort, but my anxiety is so high and I am so frightened that not only do I cause some weird alert with these military gentlemen, that at the same time, my wife begins to cry because she's like, nothing's working. And so I feel bad in the midst of my fear because my wife is crying. And so I panic so much that I dig my nails into my forearms that they start to bleed. 
right? Like that's how scared I was uh, on being on this plane. And we got to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and our friend met us, and they're like, how was your flight? I was like, I don't want to talk about it, whatever. We ended up buying like a double XL pizza. I ate it all and slept for 14 hours. Like I was, my adrenaline was so high. Like I just hate flying. There's nothing that brings me comfort about flying. I don't care about the statistics. I get it. It's like one in every 250,000 planes that might experience an accident. What if I'm on that one? Like I hate that. That doesn't help me. No statistics help me right? So that's just one of the things I'm afraid of. And the truth is, part of the reason I hate flying is because it exposes how much out of control I am. There's nothing I can do. I hate that. I hate that feeling. And I think primarily that's what it is about flying that causes me so much grief and fear. I'll give you another example. Several years ago, right, uh, my wife's stepdaughter named Savannah, she uh, wanted to kind of step back into our lives. She, she was looking for help, looking for family, and she wanted to step back into our lives. And so as Rebecca and I began to talk through it, um, I knew that she, that is Savannah, that Savannah was just asking for family, to be around some kind of parental support, to be around other individuals who are just going to care for her in light of some of the things that she'd experienced. And at the same time, um, she, had a, she had a baby girl who is now our granddaughter. Her name is Delilah. And so I knew all of this was going on. And so Rebecca and I are talking through it. And one of the things that I ended up doing was I ended up pulling back from both her and our son Seth because there's this great fear of insecurity that came over me because in my line of thinking, I was, uh, the, what, what was being communicated and what I was interpreting was if we allow, for instance, Savannah to come back into our lives, Seth gets his sister back, Rebecca gets her daughter back, what is there for me? Like they don't need me anymore. And so in that fear, in that insecurity, one of the things I end up doing is that I became very controlling concerning how we were going to move forward, uh, became controlling by masking it over protection, right? I wanted to protect my family. And while that was certainly true, there were many aspects of control that I began to implement because at the end of the day, I was so fearful of losing my family because my worth, I didn't know if I was worth anything right, to them. Recently, a friend, uh, like, brought to my attention grievances and concerns, and the first thing that I do as I receive these is begin to think, I need to apologize for everything, because if I don't, they will reject me. And so, even though we went back and forth on a couple of things that were actually really, really good, my immediate response was fear of rejection. Here's the bottom line. Everyone struggles and deals with fear. So what is it that you are afraid of? What is it that you are afraid of? Here's the thing about fear, because you and I experience it. Fear is impatient and it's demanding. I want you to listen to Ed Welch. He's a counselor for the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, I think. This is what he says about fear. Fear wants authority. It claims to tell us how life really is and it won't be easily persuaded otherwise. Fear doesn't trust easily. And when fear escalates, it wants relief and it wants it now. 
Much like last week, we said that emotions are good and they are biblical and they are necessary. Emotions themselves communicate something. And in our evaluation of fear, once again, we must discern between what is good and godly and what is selfish and destructive before we respond. If you want it boiled down to a main idea, fear reveals our allegiance. That's the main idea of our time today. Fear reveals our allegiance. So I'd like to read Psalm 3. I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into the remainder of our time. <clears throat> so Psalm 3, we're going to look at the whole thing. It's eight verses. So this is what God says through David. He begins, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Let me pray. God, as we dive into your word, my simple prayer is, would you please meet us where we are? None of us in here uh, is uh, immune to fear, and uh, fear uh, demands that we respond, and so Lord, I pray that you would simply meet us where, where we are, and that you would draw us to yourself through your word. So Lord, not only, do I'm, not only am I asking for, for, for conviction of our, of our sin, but Lord, I'm asking for comfort. I'm asking for comfort so that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus, and that, that may mean our circumstance doesn't change. And so, Lord, uh, man, we're just going to come before you vulnerable and bare. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do a work in us through the power of your word. Draw us near to yourself. Um, compel us to cast our fear and anxiety onto you. And may you be glorified in this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I, uh, I wish to examine three sections in, in, in our time. I want to examine how fear communicates. I want to examine how fear motivates. And then I finally want to examine how the gospel frees us. You see, you and I experience fear, and God is aware of that. In the pages of Scripture, the phrase, do not fear, or something similar to that phrase, appears 365 times. God is aware that you and I experience fear. God is aware that you and I respond to fear, not always in the best of ways. And so what I'd like to do briefly is examine what fear communicates. This could happen all at once. This could happen one at a time. And I'm sure there are other things that fear can communicate. We're only going to look at three. The first thing that fear communicates is that life is dangerous right? 
that life is dangerous. The truth is, life is uncertain. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry to break it to you. Life is uncertain, life is unpredictable, and there are real reasons to be afraid. Regardless of what you think about the previous season surrounding the Rona, we saw people respond a certain way to the fear that came up in light of that, right? That included many of us, many of you responded a certain way to what was going on, that I am in danger, and as a result of me being in danger because of the unpredictability of what might happen and what could happen, how am I going to respond? Sometimes fear communicates that life is dangerous. King David is experiencing danger as he is being hunted by his son in this psalm. He opens up in verse one by saying, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. David's life is in danger. And so whether it's cuts or bruises or significant events, Fear is something that we're going to experience. Fear can keep us alive while at the same time being a cry of the heart toward God. And the Psalms are full of that. The Psalms are full of writers who are in fear uh, because their life is in danger and they are crying out before the Lord to receive clarity, to receive uh, deliverance, to receive some sort of hope and comfort. They are crying out to God because their life is in danger. The second thing that fear communicates is that you and I are vulnerable. Fear communicates that you and I are vulnerable. Verse seven, David says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. He recognizes that he is vulnerable in light of what is happening. He is being hunted. Fear aims at revealing that you are not in control and that you are, in fact, here it is, needy. At the end of the day, you are a dependent person and independence only works when things are going well. I want you to listen to Ed Welch one more time. He writes, this is where fear gets interesting. Danger points at the threatening world around us. Vulnerability points to ourselves. If fear were only about dangerous people and difficult circumstances, we would just take precautions and live the best we can. But fear is about us. In this psalm, David cries out to God, and it's a, it's a battle cry. It's a battle cry when he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. David appeals to the character of God in his vulnerability, looking at what God can do and does actually do. But he is appealing to the character of God in the midst of vulnerability, in the midst of needing God. The third thing that fear communicates is that what you value is being threatened. 
Fear communicates that what you value is being threatened. Once again, verse 2, he says, Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Fear exposes what you value and what you love, and it communicates that it is being threatened. Love, for instance, is connected to trust, and trust reveals the center of our heart. And so when we experience fear, it says something about who or what we trust. In their book, Untangling Emotions, here's what Groves and Smith write. Examining your fear is a chance to put names on your treasures, to listen to what they are communicating. What's being threatened in this psalm? What's David's life? David's life is what is being threatened in this psalm. And so when we say, man, fear reveals what we value. He's valuing his life. I'm being hunted. My life is in danger. I'm totally vulnerable. People are taunting and mocking me. And at the same time, I'm valuing my life. So what is being threatened when fear comes up for you? Another question to chew on. When you experience fear, what is it that's being threatened. As I was thinking about it, when it came to the example of me on a plane or me and my family or me and my friendships, what's being exposed to me is that I don't have it all together. On the plane, I realize I am not in control and no matter how strong I am or how smart I can be, none of that matters on the plane. When it comes to the example of my family and, and us adopting or bringing in our stepdaughter, now our, our grandchildren, the fear is that I simply won't be needed anymore. So is my worth, do I really have worth in the eyes of my wife and at the end of the day, the eyes of the Lord? When a friend brings grievances and concerns before me, the first thing I think of is not only will I be rejected by them, but all of a sudden I'm being exposed and I don't have it all together and I'm not as good a friend as I thought I was just as much as I thought I'm not a great husband or a father and all of my intellect and all of my strength does not matter as I'm on a Boeing. For me, what is being threatened is worth. It's my vulnerability. It's my pride. And so here's what I want to invite you to. In the span of all that fear communicates in this psalm, here is the key word. You guys ready? The key word is selah. That's the key word. He says it three times in this psalm. There are many definitions for this word, but one of those definitions is uh, it's it tells us that the psalmist is actually inviting you to stop and reflect. This might sound weird, but I want you to check it. Fear communicates something, so I want you to listen to it. David does. David does in the first two verses. Going back up, 
We're going to be repetitive about this. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. If Selah is, a, is a, an encouragement, an invitation to stop, to pause, to reflect, when you experience fear, how often do you stop? How often do you take a breath? How often do you actually reflect on what it is communicating? In the next couple of verses, we're going to see how David responds. In addition to that, uh, if you notice, the Psalms don't always give you the context for what is going on for the writer or the psalmist. Part of the reason, I think, is so that we can place our own fear and our own circumstance in what is actually going on so that we could actually relate to the psalmist and so that the psalmist would encourage us to fix our eyes on the Lord. I want you to stop and reflect. I want you to listen to what fear communicates, and then I want you to listen to God. We talked about this last week, identifying, examining, evaluating, and then taking action. When fear comes up, I want you to listen to it. I want you to identify what's going on. I want you to ask the questions, and then I want you to respond only after you've stopped and reflected. So those are three things that fear communicates. Life is dangerous, or you are in danger. The other thing is that you are actually vulnerable. And the third thing is, whatever you value is being threatened. Well, let's look at the motivation. Last week, when we were talking about just emotions from a general perspective, one of the things I said was, uh, our emotions communicate something. They communicate what we're feeling and what's going on, but they also motivate us. They motivate us to do something. This psalm teaches us two things about how fear can motivate us or what fear can motivate us to do. And so here they are. Here how, here's how you and I respond oftentimes to fear. We can either tor turn toward God and face our fear, or we can run from God and from our fear. Those are the options that we're given in this psalm, because again, fear reveals our allegiance. It's going to reveal where you and I stand. And so let's look at the first one, running toward God and facing our fear. David turns to God in the midst of fear and faces his fear. Now check it. His circumstances don't necessarily change. But he goes on to say that he is sustained by the Lord and ready to face whatever he needs to. Let's go back to the psalm. He goes on to say, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. The first thing David does after verses 1 and 2, the first thing that he does is that he turns to the Lord. He turns to the Lord in the midst of his fear, in the midst of what is happening. And in addition to that, he appeals to the character of God. He appeals to the character of God and he cries out to God about what is going on. He puts it on the table. Whether good or bad, he puts it 
on the table and he is brutally honest about not only what is going on, but about what is. You see, sometimes you and I will respond to our fear and uh, we want to approach God and we just want to talk about our wants, not necessarily our needs. And so David puts it all on the table and we see that the Lord answers David. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we walked through 1 John. The beauty of Psalm 3 is that it confirms stuff that John or things that John encourages us in. One of those is that when we approach God in confidence, in prayer, that he is going to respond. The problem that you and I run into is that Sometimes God doesn't always answer the way we want him to with the things that we want him to respond to us with. That's a different conversation, right? That's a completely different conversation. But here we see that God responds to David. Here's a couple of things that I wanna work through. First thing David does is that he turns to the Lord and he casts his fears and anxiety on him. Psalm 55 says, uh, it's an encouragement to the people of God where the psalmist says, cast your fears onto the Lord. In other words, it says, throw your fears onto the Lord. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5. Cast your anxieties onto the Lord because he cares for you. That's the first thing David does. He turns to the Lord, appeals to his character, and he throws his anxieties onto the Lord. Now, you and I might hear that and say, great, so it must be really good news. His circumstance doesn't change, though. Look at the rest of it. He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. So that's the affirmation that he has cast his anxieties onto the Lord. He put all of that on the Lord and the Lord allowed him to sleep and get some rest. But check it out. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David set his anxieties and his fears on the Lord. He turned to God, appealed to his character, cried out to him, put everything on the table, and then the next day, he's still a hunted man. He's still a hunted man. The difference now is that he's looking at it through the perspective of who God is and what God has done. Last week I told you, I can't always, uh, or we can't always give you like, hey, this is what you should do. After you turn to the Lord, this is what, this is the practical application. There's multiple options that we can go through. All I could say, at least from what we see in Psalm 3 is, man, turn to the Lord so that you would face your fear. So that's the first way that we ought to respond. But you and I tend to run from God and We tend to run from our fear. And that way of doing it is as old as the garden. Right? After after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. They were ashamed of their sin. Right? And God comes, calls Adam. We talked about that last week. He's like, Adam's like, yeah, Adam, yeah. Right? He's like, what happened? In the chapter before, we see that they walked alongside God. They had fellowship with God. There wasn't, there wasn't any kind of vulnerability or there wasn't any kind of shame. They weren't hiding anything in their fellowship with the Lord. And then they sin, and the first thing they do is run from him and hide from him. 
You see, because fear is a great motivator, when we respond poorly to fear, it disrupts our fellowship with God. And often, you and I will look to something else to satisfy our fear. So, what is it that you turn to? I already told you mine. I turn to control. It doesn't always have to be this, um, maybe this tangible, physical uh, temptation where some people might turn to drinking or substance abuse or even escapes like video game and, and pornography. It can be those things and oftentimes it is. Maybe it's you turn to work, but at the same time, there are other things that we can turn to. For instance, it's control. And I can mask control easily because I could use gospel-centered language to talk about protection. I can use gospel-centered language to talk about how the Lord is really working on my soul and my heart, but I'm really just being controlling about what I want to tell you and how I want to uh, control that situation. What is it that you turn to? It's not like we all bat a thousand, we turn to the Lord and we face our fear. You and I often regularly actually run from God and we run from our fear. So what is it that you turn to? I think the section of this psalm reminds us of of what we talked about last week. That when fear comes up, when our emotions come up, we must first respond to them biblically. And how do we do that? by being vulnerable before the Lord and the one that everybody always gets quiet on and being vulnerable with one another. Those are the two. Those are the two that we turn toward God and face our fear, but we also turn toward one another where we would receive a counsel, where we would receive uh, reminders of who we are and comfort and maybe even a push At the end of the day, turning to one another is not just biblical, it is healthy and good because if you belong to Jesus, we were born out of community and for community. Say it one more time. We were born out of community, that is the Trinity, and born for community. You and I like to mess around with the word isolation or alone time. There is quite a distinction between spending some alone time, getting some time just to yourself to decompress. Some of you decompress that way. That's good and cool. I love doing that. There is quite a different thing about isolation. Isolation can be dangerous. It can be unhealthy. But we will use fancy words to justify what's really going on. Turn toward God and turn toward one another. This past week, hung out with some of the guys on, on Thursday night, and it was probably one of the most filling times for me, where as we hung out, I just wanted to share a bunch of things that were on my heart. And the truth is, as I shared all of those things with these guys, none of them had answers for me. And that was the best. They just listened. Maybe they had a question or two to make me think about things or they pressed in in certain ways, but nobody had an answer. Man, but they allowed me to just put things on the table. They encouraged me, they challenged me, they listened. They did the same thing. And so we listened to when one of them was talking. And then on Friday night, our MC 
several of the guys stayed at our house to almost about one. And we're just on the couch, joking, laughing, giggling. And then one of the guys kind of scoots up and says, hey, this is all that's going on. This is everything that's happening. And it was one of the most liberating times to be able to listen and encourage and to be able to just actually just listen and be present. Fear reveals our allegiance. Our allegiance is either going to be something that is the object of our affection or it's going to be Christ in the kingdom. And again, if you're asking, well, what about the circumstance? It might not change. It might not change. However, you will be able to look at it through the lens of the gospel, which leads us into the final section, which is that the gospel frees you and I. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us, not because we won't experience fear anymore, but because God in Christ has experienced it as well. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 26. This is him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Uh, just before this verse, he goes on to say that his heart was filled with sorrow. I think sometimes we're like, man, well, God is so fearless. No, he's revealing his heart to us that he was afraid. And in light of the work and person of Jesus, what the gospel teaches is that not only are we redeemed, not only are we forgiven of our sin, but we receive a relationship with God. That when we turn to him, he's not going to reject you. That when we turn to him, he's actually going to listen to us. At the end of Psalm 3, here's what David says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Yes, his circumstance did not change, but he appeals to the character of God. He is brutally honest before God, and it leads him to worship in the midst of fear. How much more can the Christian say concerning the Father because of the work of the Son for them? That if you belong to Jesus, you have access to a relationship with the Father. And your feelings are actually an indicator of him beckoning you to him where you can lay it all all out on the table, completely vulnerable, completely bare, completely unsure of what's going to happen, and yet you will find comfort in the arms of the Lord. And so here's how I wish to invite you to respond. It's two ways. I don't want you to respond one of two ways. I want you to respond these two ways, at least I hope. Here would be the first one. First one is to repent. Right? To repent means to turn a new direction, to turn away. It's an about face. And so in a minute, we're going to respond to our time through prayer and confession. We're going to respond by singing. We're going to respond by giving. As we work our way to that, I want to invite you to repent, to repent of idols, of things, people, circumstances, 
that beckon you that aren't Christ. Repent of idols. I want you to, I want to encourage you to repent of your sin. I want you to repent of, of what you turn to that isn't Christ. I want you to repent of what you turn to that is not good or is not godly. And in that, in that moment, in that space, I want you to cry out to the Lord just like David does. And I want you to be brutally honest before the Lord in that space. I don't want to neglect that time. Like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'll do it on my Monday morning devotion over coffee and Colossians. Like, I want you to do that today, right? I want you to cry out to the Lord. Be brutally honest before the Lord in repentance. I want you to be completely vulnerable before the Lord. Because that leads us to the second thing. It leads us to receive. To receive God's kindness for you. You see, in that, in that space of repentance where we're taking our time and we're responding well and we're being brutally honest before the Lord, not only are we made vulnerable but we become still. I want you to listen to Psalm 46.10 that says, be still and know that I am God. So in that space of repentance that we are gonna walk into in just a moment, I want you to be still. And then I want you to receive God's kindness for you. I want you to receive his comfort. I want you to receive his satisfaction. I want you to receive your identity in Christ. I want you to receive your worth and value that's found in him. I want you to receive favor. I want you to receive covering. I want you to receive forgiveness. I want you to receive comfort knowing that you belong to the Lord. These are two ways in which you and I tend to respond to fear. And here's the truth. Satan wants your spiritual death. The world wants you to reject Jesus. However, the Father, the Father wants fellowship with you. I can't tell you what, if your circumstance is gonna change or not, but I can tell you and encourage you to turn to the Lord, to face your fear, so that you would be made vulnerable and right with him. Our fear reveals our allegiance. So where do we stand, church? Let's pray. <clears throat> God, each one of us deals with fear. We might respond differently or we might have experienced different forms of fear, but each one of us deals and struggles with fear. Lord, part of the reason we don't necessarily like talking about our fear is mainly because it makes us vulnerable. And so, Lord, in this time, in this space, may you forgive us of our sins. May you, may you lead us to be absolutely vulnerable before you. May the words of your uh, scriptures bring us comfort like there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
And so as we come before you, we come before you as your children. We come before you as sons and daughters. Lord, your word tells us, and actually it's Psalm 23, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we will fear no evil because your rod and staff comfort us. That rod and that staff, that's, that's an object that, we, that is used by you to protect us from danger, from outside danger, and it's also used to protect us from ourselves. So God, as we, are, as we come before you, may we lay our fear on the table. May we be willing to be vulnerable and exposed before you. And Lord, would you forgive us of our sin? Would you forgive us where would you forgive us when we respond to fear with an allegiance to an escape, with an allegiance to the world, with an allegiance to Satan? Would you forgive us of our sin? Lord, in this space, would you remind us that we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ? Therefore, we're not perfect, but we are new. Therefore, we're not orphans. We're actually sons and daughters. God, we come before you vulnerable. We come before you dependent. God, we come before you, I pray, humble. Lord, at the beginning of our time, we ask that you would meet us where we are. And so, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters um, experience that. I pray that they'd cry out to you and that this would not just be a Sunday thing, that this would be a mark of our lives, that we cry out to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you continue to be at work in us, not only drawing us closer to yourself, but reminding us, reminding us that it's not sacrifice and burnt offering that that you desire, but broken hearts and humbled spirits. That is something that you will not turn away. And so when we experience fear, may we cry out loud to you, Lord. May we be like the psalmist and cry out, Selah, and stop and reflect so that we would turn to you, so that we would face our fear, so that you would sustain us, so that we would cast our fear and anxiety onto you, so that we would have rest. Rest so that we would face what's before us. God, I pray through this series that you would continue to challenge the condition of our heart. I pray that you would be glorified in this time. I pray that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus and as we respond to you in song, may our voices be loud because our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. We ask these things in his name, amen.